So the name of tonight's talk is Unbinding Joy Through Renunciation. I want to tell just a brief little story about when I first decided to do a talk on renunciation. I had been reflecting and came up with the subject of renunciation. And then it was a little while before I actually sat down to work on the talk. And when I sat down to work on the talk, I was just kind of reflecting on what my inner state was like. And there was this kind of quiet, cool joy. And I thought, oh, it would be good to talk about something that meets that energy. And then I thought, what am I talking about? Renunciation. And I went, oh, renunciation. (laughs) And I thought it was why I wanted to bring it up is because I know that many of us can hear about renunciation and have that, And, you know, that was just a habituated response to um, renunciation. Because when I then really looked at joy, it comes when renunciation is present, when we are not misled by what will bring happiness what will bring joy, where we aren't chasing after something out there, something in the realm of sense desire that's going to bring some form of satisfaction. You know, it's when, when we see clearly and don't chase experience that we can begin to touch into true joy and happiness. The Buddha spoke about a happiness that is not dependent upon conditions. So so much of the joy that we look for in life is based on things being a certain way. And so the path of renunciation is really to help turn the mind towards true happiness, true freedom. It's working with experience in a way that can help us to work with what's really a deeply conditioned habit of grasping, of wanting, of becoming, of identifying with experience in a way that isn't helpful isn't satisfying. So I think it's really important when we look at the practice of renunciation that we see it in a way that is not limited by a sense of morality, what we should do. You know, if we look at the practice of renunciation as putting another bar in our experience as to how we should relate with experience, how we should be, it becomes very painful. You know, if we undertake the practice of renouncing sense desire on a certain level, you know, not indulging in it, not always going for that next hit, then at times when we're really caught in it, then we can feel bad about ourselves to start with. And we can also start living with a lot of rigidity, a lot of tightness, holding an ideal that isn't helpful. But when we can see that the practice of renunciation is really to help us see more clearly clinging, craving, how do we work with this you know, rampant force of desire that comes in the mind. In our lives, if we leave it unchecked, we are endlessly running, chasing after things. And it's exhausting. So it's giving the mind a framework to really begin to see and understand this craving, this clinging. So it's to point the mind towards something that's healthy, wholesome. And we really find that when renunciation is 
perfected, when, when there is that capacity to relinquish, to not claim, to not grasp, that renunciation becomes an expression of the awakened mind. So tonight to look and see if you know, we can begin to look at renunciation as actually what, can it, what it can be, a very joyful practice, rather than being you know, a grim practice of repression, suppression, you know, of bearing this cross, which isn't helpful, which is painful. One of the things I find helpful in this shifting the understanding is not to see it as a moralistic practice. Because that's where it becomes really challenging to us. That the the practice of renunciation is letting go of things on a moralistic principle. And... um, that will lead to greater rigidity. But really seeing it as a practice that is the relinquishment of that which is not serving us is not helpful. Sometimes this is not so easy for us to see. And we may struggle with renunciation. But we are not the only ones who have struggled with renunciation. You know, back in the time of the Buddha, there was people who struggled with renunciation. And it actually turns out in you know, the reading of one sutta, discovering that the Buddha himself struggled with renunciation. So I'd like to share this um, sutta. One day, a householder, Tapusa, went to the venerable Ananda, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he expressed to Ananda the difficulties he was having with renunciation and how it seemed contrary to worldly life. Ananda responded, This calls for a talk, householder. Let's go see the Blessed One. Let's approach him and on arrival tell him this matter. And however he explains it to us, we will bear it in mind. So they went to the Blessed One, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. And as they were sitting there, they said to the Blessed One, Ananda said to the Blessed One, Tapusa, the householder here, has said to me, Venerable Ananda, we are householders who indulge in sensuality, delight in sensuality, enjoy sensuality, rejoice in sensuality. And for us, indulging in sensuality, delighting in sensuality, enjoying sensuality, rejoicing in sensuality, renunciation seems like a sheer drop-off. Yet, I have heard in this doctrine and discipline the hearts of very young monks leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. So right here is where this doctrine and discipline is contrary to the great mass of people, this issue of renunciation. The Buddha responded, So it is, Ananda, so it is. Even I myself, before awakening, when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva, thought, renunciation is good, seclusion is good. But my heart didn't leap up with renunciation. It didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause What is the reason why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, 
doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. Then the thought occurred to me, I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasures. I haven't pursued that theme. I haven't understood the reward of renunciation. I haven't familiarized myself with it. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation. It doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. Then the thought occurred to me, if having seen the drawback of sensual pleasures, I were were to pursue that theme, and if having understood the reward of renunciation, I were to familiarize myself with it, there's the possibility that my heart would leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. So at a later time, having seen the drawback of sensual pleasures, I pursued that theme. Having understood the reward of renunciation, I familiarized myself with it. My heart leapt up at renunciation, grew confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. So if we have struggled with renunciation, we are not alone. But we too can do as the Buddha did, to explore the drawback of sensual pleasure and the reward of renunciation. We often don't explore the drawback of sensual pleasure because of the momentary fulfillment, the promise of happiness. You know, and in a world that at times is not so pleasurable, in these moments where there is some sense of happiness, there can be a momentary delight. Because we don't explore the drawback of sensual pleasure, we may not realize that often the joy that comes when we get what we have desired is because for a moment the uneasiness that desire brings with it is gone. Many times we are enchanted by sense pleasure. And so, fixed on the enchantment, we don't see what's underlying it. We don't see the place of dissatisfaction from which this desire is arising. Desires, as we experience them through sense pleasure, can often seem very small, insignificant. You know, just the desire to have comfort, the desire to have pleasant sounds, pleasant sights. It doesn't seem a big deal. And the pleasure that's there isn't the problem. But what is the problem is thinking that's where happiness will be found. You know, and in some way, we settle for what is a very little joy, a really fragile sense of happiness. And that becomes the problem. We don't look to that happiness that is unconditioned, the happiness that is not so fragile, that is reliable. And as a way of life, the seeking of happiness in sense pleasure is really tiring. To go from seeking fulfillment in desire after desire after desire, it's tiring, exhausting. So in examining the drawback of sensual pleasure, 
needing to really look what's happening in moments when sense pleasure is strong. Because if we don't look, we are only seeing it on the surface. And that's where uh, we get pulled in. So needing to really be present, to look, to see. Is there a deep happiness, peace, contentment that comes from this sense pleasure? Is it lasting? If we get what we want, how long does the happiness sustain itself? It's amazing to watch, you know, on retreat, that, you know, you're sitting, it's a tough morning, a desire for good food comes up, we go and we have a beautiful meal, but, you know, it isn't long before where the mind is looking for something else. It's not deeply satisfying. So rather than blindly feeding this hungry ghost of desire, giving it whatever it wants, which is feeding that force of craving in the mind, looking what's happening. We also begin to feel the agitation of this force of desire in the mind, the uncomfortableness of it, the annoyance of it, this hungry ghost that's always wanting, looking, seeking out the pleasant. And it's so deeply conditioned. You know, just sitting down on the cushion, noticing the tendency to find the perfect posture, to find the greatest comfort. And remembering this is not moralistic. What we're looking at is the tendency in the mind to move to comfort. the rewards of renunciation. We can look at this while we're on retreat. It becomes more evident. As we come here to practice, we're practicing in relative simplicity, having let go of the demands of the world, complexities of the world. Just this in itself, we can experience the reward of renunciation. That is, unless we're continually pulled into wanting to find distraction, and then it becomes a bit more painful. But in those moments, you know, many people, at least on the first day of arriving here, it's like this, ah, the sigh of relief, where there isn't such a world of complexity. Just experiencing that. experiencing the reward of renunciation in moments when we get caught in anguish, anger, aversion, and we renounce this state. Form of renunciation is letting go, letting be, not taking to be I, me, or mine. So in a moment of renouncing anguish, feeling what happens, the coolness of the mind, the steadiness where we aren't continually pulled into these states of identification with that which is painful. We experience a reward of renunciation as we find that when we're not chasing after desire, 
when we're not continually seeking out things, events, experiences, a lot more energy is present. A lot more energy. And part of this, I think, is the Buddha once spoke about renunciation and called it rest. So when renunciation is present, when there's this letting go, letting be, the mind is at rest. Actually, when we begin to touch into the power of renunciation and find the freedom that it brings, it can be quite exhilarating. I remember being on retreat, and it, you know, it came in around eight precepts, and um, I was playing with desire in different ways. And so, at one point, I decided that I wouldn't take eight precepts every day, but on some days, I, I would I would get to that tea time and just see what felt right to do. And I was going through such mental proliferation every time 5.30 came around. Should I? Shouldn't I? Oh, this is my body. No, it really needs it today. Oh, no, it doesn't. And, you know, it's just mm -mm, trying to figure it out. And then one day I just went, I'm just going to do eight precepts. And then 5.30 would roll around and there wouldn't be a hiccup. You know, it was it was just making a decision, letting it go, letting it be. And it just held so much more ease within it. But, you know, there can come the tendency to get overzealous with that. Uh, I, I came across a story that I found uh, humorous, because I think I could relate to it. Um, it's a story about a new monk, somebody who was freshly ordained, and they were speaking with Ajahn Chah, Thai forest master, asking his advice on how to apply various methods of cultivating renunciation and determination. They were saying that they were going to spend the next three months not lying down to sleep. They would only take food that they received through alms round. They would have one meal a day. They would wear the bare minimum of clothing. And these are all aesthetic practices. And so Ajahn Chah apparently listened very quietly and then finally commented. And he said the best thing would be if they simply determined to keep practicing for three months with whatever happened and to not take on anything special. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, that out of that zealousness, you know, out of uh, seeing something of the joy of renunciation, we start to put all kinds of restrictions around and then are setting the mind up to really hit struggle, hit strife, hit pain, hit holding, holding this practice of renunciation in, in an unwise way, where it becomes a bar, you know, as I spoke about in the beginning of the retreat. And you know, this happens when renunciation is held in a self-referencing way. And there comes a lot of pride. I will renounce. It's not helpful. Remembering it's really just a support to help to see craving, clinging, attachment in the mind. Renunciation can really come from wisdom. Lama Yeshe, a very wonderful Tibetan teacher, once said of renunciation, it's the wish to emerge from the repeated frustrations and disappointments of ordinary life. No, we just see it isn't working. This, you know, continual pull towards that which is pleasant. It doesn't work. And it's frustrating. So wisdom, 
wisdom inclining us towards this practice of renunciation. Renunciation is really the abandonment of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's a form of the deepest kindness to ourselves. When we think of renouncing something like the hindrances, letting go, relinquishing desire, aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, doubt, it takes on a much more joyous tone. And this is really what renunciation is. That which obstructs unbounded joy, happiness. There's three levels in which we can practice renunciation. Outer, inner, and the ultimate. The outer form of renunciation. We come from a tradition of renunciates, monks, nuns, who entered into the homeless life, who undertook a life of simplicity, letting go of external things, of needing to have a lot of material goods, really trying to live with just what was needed, just what was offered. As lay people, we too can practice in the outer world simplicity. Now looking at our lives, how much do we really need? Not making a trip out of it, but just in the moment where the mind reaches for something else. Reflecting, is this really needed? Can we live more simply? And this is where when we start to see the rewards of renunciation, we begin to see that if we are not having to work to get, to buy, it frees up a lot of energy, can free up time, can free up space in our lives. You know, I started to notice in my own life the amount of time that went into shopping. You know, there's a level of shopping. We need food, we need clothing, we, there's certain requisites we have in life. But to keep getting more, more, more can take up our whole lives. And then we lose sight of what's of value in life. We lose energy. We lose our way in that outer world, the world of complexity. There's a Jataka tale, which, I don't know, interested me. So the Jataka tales tell stories of, you know, the many different lives that the Buddha had when he was really um, on the journey to the fully awakened mind. And that during these lifetimes, there was said to be times when he uh, was perfecting certain states. And so in this lifetime that I'm going to speak about, he was perfecting renunciation, this quality of heart and mind, to relinquish, to let go. And it's said that he was born into a royal family, and he was destined to become the heir. Uh, But he had a deep desire to be an aesthetic. So for 16 years, he pretended to be a crippled mute. And finally it was realized that he could not be this royal heir. And he became freed. I was just, you know, I was caught by, you know, having given to you everything of the world 
and you know what a degree of renunciation it would to be not tempted by any of that to know so firmly in your heart that what your true heart's desire was liberation and pretending to be something else so that you would not by karmic forces just have to take that life I didn't know if I could have done it in our own life we practice renunciation when we don't just move with getting more, having more but when we make decisions in our life that are in alignment with wanting greater understanding, wanting to know truth, wanting to free this mind. And so we look to see what supports that. In coming here, we've practiced renunciation. We've practiced renunciation through letting go of a level of control. In our lives, we often have this sense of being in control. How we do things, when we do things, what we do. And we come here and we have to let go of some level of control. You know, this meditation hall is kept at a certain temperature. There's certain hours that we can have showers. There's certain times that there's meals. And it's not always in accordance with what we want, the way we want things to be. And this actually gives the mind something to butt up against, to see this desire for control, this desire to have things be a certain way. When we butt up, can we simply let go? Can we relinquish that desire for control? that desire to have things be a certain way? Can we practice surrender right there? I know it's difficult because we get a lot of notes about the way things should be. You know, there's a lot of different opinions of, of how things should be. But can we just practice renunciation in this simple little way while we're here? It's a limited time. And then within that, watch the mind go squirrely. It happens. That's okay. We hit the uncomfortableness of it. We hit the aversion. But if we're practicing, it's just allowing that to be, seeing it. That's our practice. looking at how we practice here. Do we make it more complicated than it needs to be? Can we just practice sitting, walking, sitting, walking? That in itself is simplicity. I've been amazed to see the complexities that I can create for myself as a yogi. You know, the extra things that I put in in a day how many times do we really need to do laundry? You know, how many times do we really need to take vitamins? How many times do we really uh, need to have a cup of tea? Just letting life be really simple in the outer world here. Not being harsh, not being rigid. Letting this just be exploration, not taking it too seriously. You know, we can get very serious around our practice and around renunciation, and and that just leads to rigidity. Let it be playful, a playful investigation. practicing renunciation in the inner world. 
In this way, it's a practicing renunciation through letting go, letting be, whatever arises in our experience. Letting go of the endless imaginations, the endless stories, fantasies. Now, as soon as you see a new story pop up in the mind, can there be renunciation? Just letting go. You know, if we have an intention of renunciation, it's like, oh, just let it go. Maybe it continues. Maybe it disappears. But in that moment, just practicing, letting go. In a moment of anger, just practicing letting go, not feeding it. In a moment of jealousy, rage, And this is also true for a moment of calmness, peace, tranquility, letting go. It helps us to see where that uh, leaning in comes in, that attachment. Now, practicing not touching what arises. I'd like to share a poem that came from one of my retreats. Um, It's called Images of Mara. And if you're not familiar with Mara, Mara was a figure who was prominent in the life of the Buddha and kind of is a personification of temptation. You know, Mara is always trying to tempt the Buddha or tempt, you know, it's the, the, what comes into the mind and tries to seduce us, tries to shake us out of, really, this conviction of heart that wants to know truth. So this was called Images of Mara. Images of Mara, dancing in oneness, embracing the sky, shimmering light, melodies of delight. Any part that is touched instantly crumbles, holes in the fabric, the grasping, the wanting, for this, for this. Nothing touched, nothing crumbles, nothing moves. Practicing renunciation, not grasping, not clinging to these inner experiences, this inner world, whether it's experience of frustration, anger, hatred, whether it's experiences of calm, peace, tranquility. Just simply letting be. The ultimate level of renunciation is that of the renunciation of there being a false view of self. I am. I've spoken actually quite a bit about this in recent weeks. And this is the greatest of renunciations this false view of self. And this is the place of suffering, this aspect that keeps clinging, identifying, becoming. I am. The Buddha said, nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine. What do we cling to as I or mine? Can we let this go? As we keep seeing this aspect of selfing arise, this desire to become, as it keeps popping its head, just seeing it, but not taking, not believing, not holding to it, just another aspect of experience. 
Ajahn Buddhadasa, a Thai forest monk, once said, We are giving back to nature the things that we have falsely appropriated from it. This mind, these feelings, this body, the breath itself, they do not really belong to us. When we see that, instead of feeling deprived of something we thought was ours, we feel a great freedom, the liberation that the Buddha promised. So this ultimate level of renunciation, letting go of thinking we own it all, thinking we are the center of the universe, thinking that there is a small, separate me. But letting things be. Letting things be as they are. So three levels of renunciation, the outer level, the outer world, living a life of simplicity, the inner world, the renunciation of these different experiences that we so often uh, identify with, and the ultimate level, this false view of self. In the commentaries, they give uh, a description of renunciation as having the characteristic of departing from sense pleasure. Now, and this is kind of going against the cultural norm of life, where there is so much encouragement to follow sense pleasure, um, and is a challenge. But we can ask of ourselves at times when we see this habit strengthening, gaining momentum, does it really bring fulfillment? Is it satisfying? Or are we more interested in freedom, in unconditioned happiness? Sometimes we'll find that wisdom is present and it's very easy to let go of these moments where the mind wants to go for sense pleasure. That as we do so, the wisdom element starts to strengthen. A while ago, um, my husband's parents had to move from their family home of 53 years. And at that time, his mother was describing to him how she was going through the process of going through the family home and looking at everything uh, and to see whether she would keep it or not. They were really going to have to pare down their life. And as she was going through all this and telling him about it, he said, is this really difficult? And her response to him was, now is not the time to hang on. No wisdom comes forth. We begin to see that it doesn't serve us to hang on. It becomes easier to relinquish. The function of renunciation is to verify the unsatisfactoriness. And this is where we find the mind just becomes disenchanted. It's no longer seduced by what was once tantalizing, promising. And then there comes the manifestation, which is the withdrawal from sense pleasure, where there is no more of this grasping, chasing. And the proximate cause for renunciation 
is said to be that of spiritual urgency. When spiritual urgency is present, when there is a sense of being in touch with why it is that we practice, and last week, Patricia offered us four very, wonderful, four very wonderful reflections on how to get in touch with our motivation for practice. You know, when she spoke about um, reflecting on the preciousness of this human birth, uh, the truth of impermanence, reflecting on karma, how what we do, what we say, has consequences, and how reflecting on the defects of samsara, All of this helps us to get in touch with what it is that motivates us, why we do this practice. And when we get in touch with that, it's like there's no choice. You know, when we're really in touch with impermanence, these petty desires, they have no pull. We see. You know, it's really clear. And there's this strong commitment that is natural, that is really heartfelt, is not manufactured. You know, it's not like, I have to do this. We see there's no choice. We see this is what is needed in life. And this, you know, gives rise to this practice of renunciation that becomes joyful, that becomes, you know, seeing, letting go that which does not serve. I remember a time of discovering this in my own life. And it was, you know, it was just like cleaning out the closet, you know, letting things go. Life was getting so cluttered, so confusing. And then, boom, this sense of spiritual urgency comes, this sense of renunciation. Oh, you know what to do. You know what to let go of. And that's where the wisdom is there. It's not forced. It's not tight. It's not controlled. It's really natural. And we find when we can do this, it takes us into you know, this quiet joy that I spoke about in the beginning of the talk, where when we're sitting, we can just sit. Walking, we can just walk. Eating, just eating. The simplicity of just being. There's joy. It's a practice of deep contentment. Contentment with what is. Just this. Can we practice contentment? And when we can't, that's okay too. You know, watch it, see it, understand it, look. Renunciation, it's like just putting a little fence around this (laughs) animal that's going for, going for whatever it can get. Be playful, lighthearted. Because ultimately it leads to freedom. We just have to bang our heads a few more times and then we'll see it. No, it's okay. This is from another Tibetan teacher, Toku Urjan Rinpoche. He says, Renunciation is the sign of true accomplishment, blessing, and realization. We don't often think of it that way, but this is from the wise ones. He also says, renunciation means to understand that time is running out and everything passes. In other words, it is a natural disenchantment with the samsaric attainments and any samsaric state leaving behind that which binds the heart, that which is restrictive, 
that which doesn't serve us. I'd like to close with something from the Dhammapada. Just like birds that leave no tracks in the air, there are those whose minds do not cling to temptations that are offered to them. Their focus is on the signless state of liberation, which to others is indiscernible. Letting the mind incline towards freedom, liberation. This is the practice of renunciation. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings come to know the joy of renunciation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.